0: Everyone's got shit on their shoe.
1: (laughs) Right. Every like everyone. That's the one thing that I loved about being a divorce lawyer and just listening to people. Like, gosh, it's it's astounding how it's really easy for me to be open because I just know that everyone's got problems. Welcome to The Defense Never Rests with Morgan and Akins, your monthly dose of uncommon sense about all things legal and some that are not.
0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of The Defense Never Rests. I'm your host, Megan Henry. And today I'm joined by Gabrielle Hartley. And we're kind of changing uh, the discussion a little bit today. Uh, we're here to talk about divorce. Gabrielle is a mediation divorce mediation specialist and uh, a divorce attorney. And she just has a lot to say on the topic, but also she just has, I love her point of view on it and her approach. And, you know, she wrote a whole book on it. And I think um, you know, you you'll get a, a lot out of listening to how she approaches mediation and how she advises, you know, clients and people to approach divorce to get through the process in a much cleaner and civil fashion. So I'm going to bring her in. Good morning, Gabrielle. Welcome to this episode of the Defense. Now, Rest. how are you today?
1: I'm good. I'm very happy to be here with you today.
0: I am so excited to ha- have you on um, and have you share, share with our audience a little bit about what you do. Um, and I'm just going to give like the, the two cent version that, that I have here, but you, you are a divorce attorney and mediation specialist for you know, people going through that, that process. But tell me, how did you get there? Like, What made you go into this field?
1: So this was basically, divorce was about the last thing that I ever thought I would do. Um, When I grew up, my parents divorced when I was nine and my brother was six. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it was the late 70s, the early 80s. And, you know, at that time, it was pretty much always, you know, Kramer versus Kramer style, really fist to fist combat. Mm -hmm. And my parents did it a different way. They stayed out of court. They went to a mediator. They each had lawyers, and they worked things out. And they had shared custody. Now that to you might sound like big deal, but like at the time we were like the weirdo family with shared custody, right? Like my mom and I, we shared we we split our time between our two parents' households, and um, you know the houses were very different, and the way they did things was different. And they were they were almost like braggy about how well they got along. And as a kid. I did not experience it as so wonderful. It was still like I divorced parents; they fought about nonsense, whatever. So by the time I got to law school, I was like, "We were we were allowed to take one class pass fail," and I was like, "I'm taking family law pass fail because I'm so done with this topic." And I did that, and I had a, I found that I had like a lot of feelings around the topics, like I had a lot of thoughts, and I pretty much kept to myself in that class. And um, and when I left law school, I did general practice for a short bit of time. And I had this opportunity to clerk for a judge in what's known as the mat part, the matrimonial part of the New York State Supreme Court. Um, I clerked for Judge Jeffrey Sunshine, who's now the chief administrative judge here of handling all the divorces in the entire state of New York. And so I took this job um, just because it seemed like it might be interesting. And I was young and I, I was sort of thrown into a setting where it would be two lawyers and two people getting divorced, fighting, ready to go to trial, ready to go to motion. And my job was to help them stay out of the courtroom and resolve everything. Okay. So that experience, first of all, showed me that I sort of had a Superpower or a gift around settling impossible cases like that was definitely something that I did not know that I would be good at or love, but I was very good. You know, I I say to my clients a lot, I'm like, I am so bad at so many things, but I'm so good at this, right? Um, <laughs> and and how um, ugly divorces still are or were in the early 2000s was pretty shocking to me like I thought that there had been a lot of progress and even today I think oh there's been so much progress and there has been progress but it's still a mess there's still far too many contentious divorces and so um I wrote this book called better apart the radically positive way to separate which um integrated mindfulness and meditation and lots of practical, really important how to's, what to do, you know, how to know what kind of process is a good process for you, how to do parenting, what is important for finances, everything like that. And I, um, I just wanted to recreate and shift the divorce conversation. I kept saying, I want to be the Gloria Steinem of positive divorce. And, um, And Gwyneth Paltrow, who's like the original Conscious Uncoupler, she gave Mm -hmm. me a cover endorsement for my book. Oh, that's amazing. And it was in um, People Magazine. Um, I'll show you. This is my big excitement, right? So it's like People Magazine. Oh, I love it. Um, Yeah. So this book, you know, it got a fair bit of, um, say, better apart. Awesome. And they call people magazine called it the conscious uncoupling how to, which was obviously a very big compliment. And um and so that was sort of the first step. You know, I, I just yeah. felt like I wanted to change the conversation. And I had this vision that the litigators were gonna buy boxes of this book and hand it to their, their clients and say, I know this is a really ugly experience but you can feel okay. You can get through this because I really wrote the book with the suffering person in mind. Right. I wrote it with the idea that anyone who's going through a divorce needs to know these things because I had been through it as a, as a kid. I worked in the field as an adult. I litigated, I mediated and I worked um, for a judge. Right. And I saw how ugly it was. And, um, and so I don't know if that just answered your question. That's like how I got <laughs> to writing the book and creating the better part method. So that sort of brings me to like, you know, the book came out in 2019, but say it was all done in 2017. So then from there forward, I have been doing two things. Number one is um, I created something called um, the total practice makeover to help other lawyers who just can't stand all the senseless fighting to start shaping their cases in a different direction and to help them with branding and marketing and bringing their um, practice into a practice they love. Because a lot of lawyers, and I don't know if it's like this also in your field, um, Megan, that they feel like they have to like stop being a lawyer, but that's not true. They can, just, they can still serve the people they love to serve and do it differently. Right. Um, and then the other thing, the primary thing that I do is I do online mediation. Um, and I, I work, obviously, well not obviously, I work hourly. <laughs> and I also have created something called the Better Part Blitz Mediation Program. So I have like different models of mediation where you pay and you get a, a flat rate to bring your case to close in a way that is um, not antagonistic. That's not stirring the pot and is not creating more chaos for you. And
0: for your children. So there's so now there's so much I want to talk about because you you packed a lot in there.
1: <laughs> right. No,
0: that's great because I, I you touched on so many things that I have like written down here that I wanted to talk to you about. But I mean I I, I didn't go through a childhood like your my parents, you know, stayed together, although you know I got to witness happy times and unhappy times as I think all, all children do. But as a as a kid. I mean, I know you were explaining how your parents kind of did it in the more modern modern sense, but there's still, ha- I mean, there had to have been a lot of emotions there that your world was still turned upside down and suddenly you're splitting your time between two households. So that has to have like really helped you today to understand the viewpoint of the ki- what the kids are going through.
1: So, so I think, you know, I think we adults put a lot more on kids. Like, I think that if the parents are relatively calm kids are all right. I think that's the name of the book. The kids are all right. right? Yeah. Like, I think like, you know, I was very clear that I did not want my parents having more children and thankfully they did not have more children. I remember saying to my father, you have more kids. I'm not visiting. <laughs> I, was, I think I was scary. So he listened, but, um, you know, I found something that you might find interesting. Um, a few years ago, I actually put it in my Instagram feed. Instagram feed, um, there was, I found this Hello Kitty diary that I had, and there was a journal entry from like five days after my parents had this big fight when my dad moved out. And it says like, dear diary, um, I am so upset. And I was like, oh my goodness, what am I gonna write? (laughs) Because tomorrow, is my last one digit birthday. Oh. Like it had nothing to do with all the, you yeah. know, it's just like, it's not, it, it, it for me, it was okay. Like it was sad because I was, I remember, I remember because um, my parents also brought my brother and me with the mediator to a therapist. They're very ahead of their time. <laughs> <laughs> to talk about like what would be a good parenting plan. Um, and. I actually chose that I wanted to see each parent every day. And so wherever I went to, whoever my thinking was, whoever woke me up, the other parent tucked me in. Yeah. Right? So I saw my parents both every day. And um, I was, I just feel like I was really lucky. And it's not like, oh, my parents were like, just so happy with each other. Like it wasn't like that, but they still were able to um, minimize the toxicity in the house. and. And I, I attribute, you know, some of that to my grandparents, you know, and my, my parents, you know, ways of being. But I also think that their decision to work with lawyers and a mediator is what really helped keep the chaos down. Like the decision not to argue. Like my mom says, it's not that I wanted shared custody. I wanted custody, but I didn't think it was worth the fight. I didn't think it was worth the the hell that you and your brother would have gone through Mm -hmm. and so um you know they just they did things in a way that well now I am that person now I am that mediator so I I guess you know I feel like it all worked out um and and I just want other people to know that if these two could do it if if Peter and Ruth could pull it off so can you (laughs) Well, and I mean, it,
0: there is so much emotion, obviously, involved in in the process, and also a power struggle. I would, I would, I imagine you see a lot of that. That they there are a lot of parents trying to pull more their way.
1: Well, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of focus on what's fair. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of talk around fair. And I tend to start my mediations with a conversation around perception, facts, truth, and fairness. And the reality of it is you can roll the dice and let that stranger in black robes dictate your future or you can hold your future in your own hands. That's your choice. But if you choose to go to court, you need to understand that it's not what you think. There's no magic truth serum. There's no mm-hmm. pot of gold at the end of that rainbow. The judge is not going to care about everything that you think matters. It's not necessarily gonna be legally relevant. The judge in most places is so busy. They're not gonna care about taco Tuesday or pizza Friday. You know They're worrying about like health, um, safety, welfare of the kids mm-hmm. and a financial disentanglement that is reflective of what the law allows. That's it. So if you're not divorcing someone who's completely out of whack, right. I mean, believe like I'm of counsel to a major litigation firm in Manhattan. There are cases that need to litigate. Right. So, so obviously some of your listeners might be saying, Oh, well, that sounds nice, but I need to go to litigation. (laughs) That may be, Mm -hmm. but for 95% of you, you don't need to go to, you don't need to go to litigation. And, um, what you do probably need is to feel heard. Mm-hmm. And so that's a role a mediator can also play in this capacity. I mean,
0: I, I think that holds true across litigation, even for, for me. I mean, it, when I have you know, injured plaintiffs, they want to be heard. They want someone there to listen to what is bothering them and how this incident or what acts and whatever it may be has impacted their lives and they want someone to listen to them and care. And I, I think it, just, it translates across the board. I think people just wanna be heard and they want their side to be heard and understood. And maybe not, they might not get everything that they're saying, but they just want someone to be like, I hear you and I understand and let's figure this out.
1: That's exactly right. That's the same thing. And so, you know, what I learned when I was really young, was that if I simply reflected back the pain, the story, the narrative of each person, the details of the resolution became really easy, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I could look at someone and say, "It's I, I'm hearing you say like, it feels like your whole life is a lie, right? Like you just found out your husband of 27 years has been running off with your neighbor, your friend, whatever. Like everything seems like it was yeah. all mine, or with his, you know, with his secretary. I'm being you know very sexist and gendered right now, but <laughs> but just me saying it in front of him, in front of his lawyer, and holding her story. Suddenly, that immovable position starts to move Hmm.
0: Um. And I mean, I imagine though, and you you hear a lot of those scorned spouse, you see a lot of the scorned spouse scenarios in, in your line of work. Now, does that make it that much more difficult to reach a resolution when you have, you know, someone who went off and had an affair or is it all kind of the same or, you know,
1: so so you'll notice, um, although, um, It'll be up in a couple of days because I'm just making some changes on my website. Um, It is the personality that dictates, not the facts. That's my opinion. Like a, a lot of people who have like flat rate programs, it's like, do you have one kid, two properties? You can have five kids and three businesses. If you guys get along well, we can do this efficiently. It may, it may, you may not fit into like the four week plan. You may need the 12 week plan. You may need two 12 week plans, but we can still do it. Right. It's all about how complicated your interaction is. So if you find out that your spouse has cheated on you, how you respond is going to differ from person to person. Some people come in and it's like, they're the first person who's ever been cheated on. (laughs) (laughs) She did this to me. She did this to me. But the the reality of it is, there's some kind of betrayal, Mm -hmm. probably in at least half of all relationships. So it may not be uh, an affair with a um, with another paramour, as we call it in our separation of humans, but it may be a financial betrayal, you know, it may be a religious betrayal, like there's Mm -hmm. so many ways to betray somebody. And Humans have the propensity of finding partners who know how to push our buttons. Those are who, the people we're drawn to, right? right. It's
0: like that tick, those TikToks you always see, like in every marriage, there's one who's totally crazy and there's one who's not. It's like the opposites. I mean, it, isn't yeah. that the, the exactly. opposites attract?
1: Yeah, except when we think about that when we're younger, we think like, oh, blonde and a brunette, <laughs> right? How cute. Exactly.
0: Well, so tell me about Better Apart though. How, you know, how did you come, to me, it seems like you came to write this book out of you know, your experience, out of what you were seeing in, in your practice. And you're like, you know what? I'm gonna put pen to paper and help people with this. Um, is, that, is that accurate or like, how did you come to write the book?
1: So I wrote the book because I just felt like somebody needed to let people know that they can feel better Mm-hmm. after divorce. And it's funny because now, you know, several years later, there's a lot of divorce coaches saying this, right? There there are um more and more lawyers are getting trained to be mediators and the shift is starting to take hold. I call it the positive divorce movement, right? Like the, if if you see me on social media, I'm constantly constantly mm-hmm. saying the positive divorce movement is on. It it is a conversation change that just needed to happen. And I know that I can't do it alone. Mm -hmm. And so I'm constantly reaching out to other people who are divorce lawyers or divorce practitioners adjacent to write. I have a weekly blog that's 95% Um, guest bloggers, Mm -hmm. because I want to amplify every single person who's in this divorce space, who, who know that things can go in a more smooth way, because when we, when, when we're the um, professional in a divorce, we're really setting the blueprint on how this family is going to function as they move forward. So I feel like we have a responsibility because how the adult professional functions, that is going to impact how the litigants, how the you know the, the two partners function. And then how they feel about themselves, that's going to impact the kids. And so it's like a cyclical yeah. thing. So at some point, this cycle of negativity, of shame, of divorce being in the shadows has to stop. You know, when Better Part came out, um, many TV stations did not want to have me on because they don't want to talk about divorce because divorce is so negative. It's really a, a, a topic that is frowned upon. If you notice um, in across most media channels, the only person or people will see is like Laura uh, Laura Wasser because she represents celebrities exclusively mm-hmm. and um, and people love to hear about celebrity, but it's more rare you know, um, to see somebody, you might have someone who's a financial expert, but just about talking about how you can get through your divorce and, you know, and feel better and do things differently. That's something that is still just not mainstream. And so that that's my mission is to bring it mainstream, yeah. help more people know, you know, that they can do it, which is why I do the positive, the total practice makeover.
0: Yeah. Well, and also just, I mean, I think there are a lot of people who try to make keep it you know, and I wouldn't say positive, but not as in a negative tone as it always has been. But, you know, I think it always has, you know, you're always whispering down the lane, like, shh, 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 you know, oh, did you hear about, you know, so-and-so and people gossip. And so I think it still has that negative overtone to it because I think you feel self, you feel self-conscious. Like, you know, what are, what are people going to say about us or, you know, what's going on? And because, you know, you've been a part of that conversation as well.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think it's just like, it feels like a failure and um, especially if you're the the dumpy, right. Mm -hmm. Because that does happen. You know, I've had my fair share of consultations with the weepy person who realizes that their marriage is not going to last. Um, And it's normal to grieve and it's normal to feel bad when something that you work hard on, or you have your um, sort of life um, focused on, but that grief process does not need to take you forward for the next 10, 20, 30 years, right? I mean, like look, there's the reality of the human process, right? Um, and so everyone has a different, has a different um, time frame, a different timeline of how that process is going to go. But if you can at least put a little bit of positivity in the better part practice you're looking at your life through a lens of five different things. Patience, respect, peace, clarity, and forgiveness. And it's all about yourself. So patience is about taking a step back, mm-hmm. right? Re- responding rather than reacting. Peace is about noticing the neutral. Like how do we go from hot mess to, you know, okay, I feel good enough, right? Um, clarity, it's about stepping away from the blame game and becoming an active visionary, engaging in tremendous visualization that you bring in, right? You internalize it. And when you internalize it, you realize it. So I I call that actually the VER protocol. It's visualize, internalize, realize. And what's so beautiful about working on your own vision is you're replacing all of that time and all of that energy that was otherwise spent on what he did wrong, what she did wrong, how the kids are so messed up. You know what? Like my grandfather used to say, dismiss it from your mind. (laughs) That might be a little extreme, right? We have to process things, but there is a good takeaway there, which is that we don't need to ruminate all the way, all the time. Mm
0: -hmm. Now, so tell me, you know, what are some, I, I, and I think you've touched on this, but when, when you get a new, like a couple coming into a uncouple, I should say, you know, I, I know you mentioned like personalities is a big challenge, but what are the other challenges that you see that, you know, with, with clients that come in that really make, you know, get doing your job more difficult?
1: Well, if somebody, you know, sometimes you get one person come in with like a spreadsheet that they're trying to cram down the other person. That, that never works. So I have to like shut that down right away because um, the person without the spreadsheet more often than not has a narrative that they've been controlled throughout the course of the marriage and they don't want to be controlled. So the thing is by giving that, that, you know, hy- hypothetical of how things should go, which I myself may be inclined to do, right? Cause I'm like organized about that kind of thing. Um, you, you don't want to do that because, you're not um, allowing the mediation process to unfold. You may save a couple of thousand dollars, Mm. but ultimately you you may think you're gonna save a couple of thousand dollars, but ultimately you're more likely to have everything blow up because the spouse who has um, less understanding or knowledge of the finances is going to be more likely to be triggered, impatient and wind Mm. up in court. So that's yeah. one thing, that's one problem. Um, another problem, which is like a huge problem is, I don't, everybody makes fun of me, I say huge, I guess is it's <laughs> huge <laughs> um, is, is um, when somebody comes to the table and is always agreeable without thinking things through mm-hmm. the problem, because then when they come back after they've met with their lawyer and they don't like the agreement, Then they come complaining and guess what? The other party is pissed and then they wind Mm -hmm. up in court. So personally, and if if you read uh, better apart, you'll see I'm a very big advocate, a huge advocate of lawyer assisted mediation. So Mm -hmm. the way it would go is something like this. The lawyer does the intake maybe, or maybe I do the intake. And then the lawyer sends the client to me to begin mediation. And the client either goes hourly or chooses a three, four or five mediation session flat rate blitz Mm -hmm. program. In between, there's constant communication with the lawyer. right? So typically the lawyer is going to be working with the client and drafting the final agreement based on the memorandum of understanding that we get to in the mediation. So it's really the best of both worlds. the client because the client loses all the blustery legal stuff that happens in the courthouse Mm -hmm. and they have the knowledge from their lawyer of what the range of outcomes should and can be and they have someone the lawyer on the side sort of helping them to negotiate because remember when you're a mediator our role is to be impartial and neutral so We can't um, advise clients as to what to do. We can just help them to arrive at a resolution that is reasonable on both sides. So I talk a lot about like recalibrate, reset, renew, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because when we go through the um, recalibration stage, that's where we're getting neutral. We're like making sense of everything that's going on, right? And when we reset, we're now open to consider possibilities and renewal. That's like again where we're an active visionary.
0: Yeah. So what do you think about and I cause I see this happen a lot or I've seen it happen a lot more frequently that I, I see couples separating in a sense, but not fully divorcing, but kind of sharing the marital home. And then, you know, one you they mean kind of saying- Yeah, nest is that is that the proper term? Yeah, like how do you? I I, I've been talking to people, but like how does it even work? I feel like you would be in your house, and then you would go somewhere, and then you're like you're the other spouse would come and like nitpick everything you did or did not do while you were
1: there. Yeah, I mean nesting. First of all, (laughs) nesting used to be like I I wrote an article a long time ago that was like leave nesting to the birds, right? (laughs) But but nesting is actually becoming a lot more popular with the millennial generation. is, is nesting a lot more than, than my generation um, was doing it, you know, go Gen X. <laughs> um, so this is how it works. The kids remain in the marital home. The other two parties either get a sort of neutral space that they share. So they just rent one other place or buy a place or if there's enough resources, each person gets their own place separate. And there are ground rules for the marital home. Usually, you don't have new significant others in the marital home. Um, you can still be divorced, by the way, and do this. You are divorced. You can totally be divorced and nest. So, um, so nesting is best when it's short term. Mm-hmm because yeah, it yeah, feels like
0: a recipe for disaster to me. Like <laughs>
1: it, it really depends on you and on your personality and on your dynamic. Like it wouldn't work for me. Certainly. Like one of my biggest pet peeves, is my husband leaves his clothes everywhere.
0: Yeah. Mine too. So, it's so, so like
1: if I was divorced from him and I'd come home and there were clothes everywhere, like that would not work.
0: Yeah. If, yeah. Right now I'm like, are you in college? Like wh- why? <laughs> why is there clothes on the floor? It
1: exactly. drives me insane exactly.
0: <laughs> and dishes in the sink. <laughs> exactly.
1: So, I mean, if you're going to nest, you have to have clear ground rules about absolutely everything. And you should have a check-in at least once a year, if not more to see, Hey, how's this working? You know, I also think that um, nesting may create a situation where the kids have a level of confusion of what's going on. Mm. Um, so it just if you're going to nest, I highly recommend you do that with the help of a skilled clinician to help you around the communication with your kids. Yeah, because it's really all about your kids,
0: which is funny because I think a lot of people approach that situation thinking it is beneficial for the kids to stay in that, the one house and it's less confusing.
1: Well, I think in some regards, it probably is less confusing and it's easy and it's less disruptive. It depends on your kid's temperaments, your kid's mm-hmm. ages. Like there, there's so much to unpack there. Um, it's very, very personal. That, that's where I've landed up. Again, like when I started practicing 25 years ago, nobody really nested or few people nested. And today the pendulum has swung a bit. And I have landed at the place where I would say, you know, just think it through where are you going to have the fewest conflicts go with the lowest conflict Mm -hmm. scenario and not just the lowest conflict today. Like in terms of the mediation, I'm an advocate of hard, make hard now, easy later. So Mm -hmm. have those hard conversations, figure out how you're going to do things. Kids are a lot more flexible than you might think, you know, moving your kids, might not be um, the optimal solution but it could promote other strengths that mm-hmm. you know we you know now when we raise kids we tend to be like i guess they call us like helicopters and lawnmowers right <laughs> we're, we're, we're 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 so protective of them and we're always clearing the path for them to be successful but who's to say that developing a little bit more grit is going to hurt them
0: right Right, and I mean, and I think, I mean, you, I mean, you were a kid, you lived through it, and you turned out okay. I think.
1: I think you know. I mean, everybody's got something. Yeah. But I mean, I've yet, I have yet to meet a human who doesn't have some issues, either yeah. neurological or. Everyone,
0: yeah. Everyone's, everyone's got, got story. Everyone's got shit on their shoe. <laughs>
1: it's just, right. Every, like everyone, that's the one thing that I loved about being a divorced lawyer and just listening to people. Like, gosh, it's it's astounding how, it's really easy for me to be open because I just know that everyone's got problems. Like every, there's no one who doesn't have problems. If you and your family don't have problems, maybe your brother does, your sister, your first cousin, but you know, like maybe you grew up with a, a very yeah. highly um, contentious environment. You know, what about
0: scenarios that you see that if you have one of the, one of the parties, if there's not physical abuse, but like the emotional narcissistic behavior, like that's got to make things much more difficult because it's, it's not as it's different. It's, it's very ingrained in the brain and not apparent on the outside.
1: Yeah. So, so narcissism is a word, a term that is in my opinion, vastly overused, it's a buzzword, there's, you know, the covert narcissist, there's, you know, there's all the different kinds of narcissists. And, um, and so the first thing is to be aware, if you are getting divorced from someone who you're calling a narcissist, and it does make sense, because it's sort of like a bucket way to say what your experience is, sure, The person may just be very selfish, right? (laughs) Right. And that's different than a narcissist. Because, You know, the person might be extraordinarily selfish, so they're really always looking out for themselves, but they don't necessarily wanna hurt you, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, anyway, in let's just say to mediate with either a very selfish person or a malignant narcissist or a covert narcissist or what have you, it's really important that you are very clear on what your boundaries are around the terms of resolution. If you are truly dealing with a, nar- a malignant narcissist, so they don't care about anybody liking them, right? Um, you may have to litigate, mm-hmm. like you know. I mean, there's a reason there's court. Mm-hmm. But if you are if you are um, negotiating with the kind of person, and I'm not going to label them. I'm not a psychologist. I do not know, you know, <laughs> the particular label. Um, But if you're dealing with a very difficult person who you feel like might be a narcissist, but at the end of the day wants to be liked by other people, wants to seem like the good guy, because there's a whole world of people like that, Mm -hmm. you may be able to mediate. Just make sure that you have a skilled person helping you to put the best positions forward. I do actually a fair bit of um, strategic divorce coaching for people who are dealing with narcissists or selfish or difficult or impossible exes, um, just so that you make sure that you are positioning things correctly from the start. Because the way you go through your mediation is really important. Some people come to mediation with their lawyers and that's absolutely fine. That is still gonna save you heartache and money most of the time. But if you're going to go to mediation with a lawyer, make sure that you hire a lawyer who is truly mediation friendly and isn't just racking up the hours before they file.
0: Yeah, that is such a good point, too, because, I mean, let's face it. Divorce is expensive. It's expensive on all sides.
1: That's right. And there's no getting around it. Like, don't think if you go to mediation and you say, oh, well, I'm not going to have a lawyer. Well, well, that's fine. And you might save you know, ten or $20,000 between the two of you, depending on where you live and how much you have. But the fact of the matter is, if you enter a bad agreement, it's going to cost you a heck of a lot more potentially.
0: Yeah. And I, I've seen that um, with some people I know, ask, asking me for, you know, recommendations of attorneys they can seek out now <laughs> to help right. them through, through, you know, get out of a, a bad decree. Um, and, and you can't
1: actually get out of property settlement and, you know, you, you might be able to change things pertaining to your children, but typically that's about it.
0: Yeah. Which I guess that is probably the most important part, but still, it's still extraordinarily difficult and expensive. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and is that why you came up with, with your, your model, your flat rate model to kind of make it a little more. I I wouldn't, I don't want to say cheaper, but like
1: accessible and not overwhelming. It's yeah. And it's also like, there's a lot of people who just want to be done. There's people who come to me because they've been with their lawyers forever and they just have had enough. They just want to be done. Right. And then I have like the easy peasy model. It's, you know, two sessions and a couple of phone calls. And then I give them the memorandum of understanding. Um, I have a middle of the road and I have, it's complicated. And Yeah, I I created these flat rates also to to ensure that they would be done in a certain amount of time. You know, because divorce is dragging on and on is just not necessary. The reason it takes so long often, sometimes, yes, discovery is needed and, you know, we need time to get all the documents and absolutely. But oftentimes it's just because the courts are overcrowded Mm -hmm. or it's because the lawyers aren't getting to things. When you do a Blitz program, you can schedule sessions either weekly or every other week so that you're done and you can move on to the grieving process, to the dealing, you know, and, you know, the the divorce, the the, uh, breakdown of your relationship, that's really hard and that you're not going to finish in six weeks, right? Like there's no way, but, but the financial piece, the, the kid management piece, once you've talked about things, you can do it more quickly. And, and even if you don't wanna do it more quickly, the other reason that I find that the flat rate is really um, pleasing for people is you don't have to worry every time we speak that right. you're getting billed. You pay, you have a certain amount of time And if it goes over a little bit, like, I don't worry about it, you don't worry about it, you know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, assuming both people are actually engaged, you're going to come to the table back to your lawyer with all of the terms of the agreement. Or you're going to go to a DIY platform and you're going to fill it in yourself and just let a lawyer fill that out. So it's, you know, that's always another way.
0: It kind of gives... A sense of certainty to a time of a lot of uncertainty, especially around the financial aspect. I'm sure, like a lot of people, go in stressed about the finances. Oh, <laughs> I
1: mean, and it also gives um certainty. You know, if you have a spouse who you feel like is just gonna like jerk your chain, you know, just come to one session and then make excuses about the next session. These flat rate sessions expire. And guess what? Nobody wants to walk away from any amount of money that's going to expire. So your spouse is going to come to the table. So I have found it to be, I'm going to say it again, hugely helpful. (laughs) In cases where you have the reluctant spouse and it's not strong arming them. Like I do, uh, I do a, my, uh, the initial intake is always just hourly because I never want Anybody to sign up for something that they're not really ready for? Because we could mm-hmm. always just do things hourly. That's how I did things for you know yeah. twenty three years, right? Um, and that's better for for a lot of people. But this is just another nice option.
0: Yeah. So, what piece of advice though would you give to couples? You know, or or, or some or or an individual think who's considering like I don't know if I want to you know, this marriage isn't working for me. Um, or, or they're just like, this marriage is not working for me. I mean, just, like what piece yeah. of advice would uh, you give? Two them?
1: different things. So first of all, in better apart, actually between, um, the introduction and chapter one, there is a little chapter called pause. Maybe you don't need a divorce. And I give lots of tips about things you might want to do before pulling the trigger. Um, But the main piece of advice, the number one piece of advice is a step back is the best way forward. Mm -hmm. Take stock in what you have. Realize there, there, I say this far too much, there is no pot of gold at the end of this rainbow, right? (laughs) Like, Because you're going to trade one thing for another. You just have to figure out which is better for you. And think a lot about if if you're fighting about a particular thing, like, I want the house, I want the house, get behind what you want and think about what your interests are. So there's, in mediation, we talk a lot about positions and interests, you know, and your best alternative and your worst alternative. Um, If you can have a conversation with yourself about why you want what you want, and try to figure out why your ex wants what he or she wants, mm-hmm. you're going to have a much better chance of, ha- of reaching a reasonable resolution.
0: Yeah. And I, I do think that also, tra- again, it translates over to like what I do, you know, and, and uh, what I always say is like, you attract, you know, you attract more bees with honey. If, if you can kind of try to play nice in the sandbox, even though, you know, you might have a contentious relationship with, you know, opposing counsel or, whomever, you get a little bit further if you work together. And I know in in divorce, it's that's probably a lot more difficult than that.
1: Well, (laughs) it's sort of the same. It is true. There are certain lawyers who I have had like a visceral response to because it feels like they just don't give a crap about the kids. And that makes me sort of crazy. Yeah. Um. But by and large, people are doing the best they can, even those impossible lawyers. And so I guess that's the story I tell myself, right? Yeah. Even though they seem to be heartless, they're doing, <laughs> they're doing the best they can.
0: Um, so one thing I was curious about though is, you know, after, you know, initial quarantine and lockdown and stuff, people were saying like, oh man, there's gonna be a lot of either babies or, or divorces at the end of this. Have you seen like an uptick in the last you know, year?
1: Interestingly, in the beginning of quarantine, yes. And now, um, similar to the baby thing, what I've heard is that it's actually not true. Like, more people are not getting divorced and more people are not having babies. But we'll have to see how that, you know, as the world opens up. I do think that people having spent more time together may be ready for more civilized divorces. Because they've had more time to talk things through. Because they were forced to yeah. just stare at each other for the last year and figure out like <laughs> oh my god <laughs> better apart maybe we're better apart right like
0: um so okay we're we're running towards the end so now i have some off topic questions oh, for you <laughs> um well actually before before we get there um when What career, if you weren't sitting where you are today, what other career path do you see yourself in?
1: Oh, gosh. You know, I I ask myself that a lot. And I know this is going to sound crazy, but, like, I I love my career. I can't really picture doing something else. Um, Even though there are jobs that sound, like, more sort of stylish or exciting you know um maybe I'd do the same career path and you know in midtown in a fancy office and wear cooler clothes you know that of in my basement <laughs> right online but um I really love what I do I I've been doing it a long time and I I have had points of reflection but when it comes down to it um I feel like I'm just well suited for this and um I know. I wish I had a more exciting answer for you, but I, I really don't feel like there's a path that I wish I took. I will say, I wish I had known myself better, Mm -hmm. younger, because I don't feel like I wasted. Don't we
0: all? (laughs) Don't we all?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. But I'm saying, like, I, I wasted time here's a message to all you lawyers who are stuck in a practice that you don't like, which is why I think I, I do this total practice makeover four times a year. Um, The next one is starts June 7th. Um, And then I have ongoing one-to-one with lawyers who just want to like their job better. I wasted so much time in a litigation practice, which I really just never had my heart and soul in. And had I been doing mediation earlier, you know, I just think I'd be at a, Another place now, but like really, maybe I'd just be doing the exact same thing, but for more people.
0: Yeah, I will say I I think about sometimes like a career that I wish or I I, I romanticize about yeah. is I would love to be like that person who writes like trashy romance novels and,
1: <laughs> like, <laughs> and that's the I, thing like I wanted to write books like I've written a book, oh, yeah. Collins published it. Like I'm writing another book right now. You know, like I have. I've done the things I want to do. Like when I was younger, I thought like, "Oh, I want to be a talk show host." But like now, like every, I've been invited to co-host lots of podcasts, and I'm like, I don't really want to. You know, it's just funny. Like maybe I mean, I'm just settling in.
0: I think you'd be a great host.
1: <laughs> I, I'm totally. <told> <laughs> I mean, if I'm co-host with them, you know, I always say I'll be happy to co-host a show. You know, I'm I'm happy to like, if you bring a guest who you feel a little overwhelmed with and you want me to help, like I'm there. No, I think you could have like gabbing with Gabby.
0: Come on.
1: I know, (laughs) that's funny that you should say that because originally, yeah, that was one of my titles.
0: (laughs) It's good. Um,
1: I I do have a little YouTube channel. It's called Divorce Talk and More.
0: Yeah, and so what what sort of of stuff do you do on there?
1: Just like this. And when people write blogs, I um, I like to have s- selected blog post um, people come and we have a little chat and we just we just talk and I I include it in the blog, mm-hmm. right? So because um, not everybody likes to read the blog. Some people want to watch yeah. something. Yeah. Personally, I'd rather read than watch. But what I've learned is more people like to watch video and listen.
0: I know. I'm not one of those people. I hate when I pull up a news article and it's a video. I'm like,
1: You oh, do. Me, too. Man, Me too. I just. I, if I want to scan, read, 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 read. It's like, I don't want to listen. You can get so much more content quicker. It's because my biggest struggle, I, I know you want to move on to not. Oh. but But um, in Better Part, it starts with patience, like the patience thing. Mm-hmm. And people, when Better Part first came out, people were always like, you know, do you have to start with patience? I was like, you don't have to start with patience. I don't think I'm ever going to leave patience because I'm like the least patient person. <laughs>
0: yeah were you were you as a kid always wanting you know wanting the result now
1: as an adult I always want the (laughs) result. even though you know I'm doing some research right now on conflict and happiness and one thing that I've learned is that reaching our goals doesn't make us happier it's it's all about the journey so I'm really committed to only doing things that I want to do and again like I wish that I had made that commitment to myself a long time ago.
0: Yeah. It I will say though, I think it's patience is a very hard skill to learn. I mean, I'm not a patient person and I I, I don't I never will be. I can only try to to. teach myself to like just try a little harder to be patient. I mean, even with like the kids, it's always like, get your shoes on. Yeah all right. Can you get your shoes on please? And then I, it takes, you know, three times. And then, I, then I, I, I'm like, get your shoes on. Like, it's like, I, I have no patience with it, oh, but I oh, try. It Uh
1: eight
0: and six. Oh, you just wait. Oh, really? Okay. Like, I, I have one that just like, she will like, she's so smart, but she can't remember to like brush her teeth. Like she'll come downstairs. I'm like, did you brush your teeth? And she'll go upstairs and then come back down. I'm like, did you brush your teeth? She's like, Oh man. It's like, you have one thing to go upstairs for. <laughs> His little problem. <laughs> Great. I just want to freeze them where they are because they're very cute and they're nice now.
1: Yeah, I have a nine-year-old who's adorable. He's so nice. Oh my gosh.
0: Um. So, do you have any guilty pleasures?
1: Gosh, I'm so boring.
0: <laughs> Is that your guilty pleasure? That you're boring?
1: No. Guilty pleasure. I, I, you know, I just like to, I mean, as remember, i I work a lot. I'm a mom of three. Mm-hmm. My guilty pleasure is going for a long walk with my f- earbuds, with my friends, yeah. you know, I, I'm just talking to them. They live all over the place Yeah, and like just taking a long break and um, hanging out with my friends when, you know, I kind of feel like I should be at home paying attention yeah. to my kids when I've just worked 10 hours.
0: I know. I, I will say on Mother's Day, the the one thing I got I did was just go for a walk alone.
1: Just I do it a vibe. lot.
0: Yeah, it is yeah, nice.
1: I, I um I take a lot of breaks during the day when I can, even if I just get like twenty minutes, and I just take a little loop outside, and I'll mm-hmm. I'll talk to somebody, I'll text a friend, and be like, "Do you have a few minutes?" You know. Um, so that that's a that is, I guess, a guilty pleasure. Um, I also pre COVID, I. About every other month, I take a girls' weekend.
0: Oh, that's so nice. Anywhere so, good? You
1: know, well, just wherever they live. Yeah, all the places, <laughs> you know, all the Easy, You know, quick flights. But I, I'm from New York City, and um, when I got married, I moved to Northampton, Mass., which is you know pretty small. Um, and most of my good friends do not live here, and so when I'm home, I'm mostly just focused on my kids and work you know and so um so traveling you know to see friends and family is like really a guilty pleasure yeah especially it's guilty if I'm going without my kids it's well right
0: yeah but sometimes so necessary I mean I I think especially after this whole whole year like it felt like such a for me to be able to go on a walk by myself
1: felt (laughs) like You had those the, little kids.
0: Yeah. It felt like an escape, you know, or finally when I was going back into stores again, I'd be like, well, I need to go by myself for your safety, <laughs> but really I just needed some time you to be know, by myself. When my
1: kids were little and i go to like the grocery store, I remember like calling a friend saying, is it bad that it feels like I'm at the spa right now yes. just to be in the grocery store without the kids? I do remember that feeling. It do- I will say it does get so much easier in terms of your, your autonomy. Like I have my life back now yeah I have like my body back my life back
0: but then you probably miss them like sometimes like I I feel like oh I get my own time but I'm like oh but I want them here and then once they're here I'm like oh but could you go away
1: (laughs) yeah 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 I I get all that but if they're happy I'm happy
0: yes yeah and then it breaks your heart when they're not you know (laughs) and you just want to fix it um so one last question I asked I asked this to I think every single person I have on, and I just, I love the differing responses I get. Gosh. So what, that's easy. Uh, what's one movie that you will watch over and over regardless? Oh,
1: that's so easy. <laughs> oh,
0: that's a good one. I've heard of, th-
1: does everybody say that?
0: No, I've had a, I think one other person say that. Oh, right, no, it was Clueless, I think was.
1: I like, that's my yeah. other one. Those are <laughs> up together. Um, Clueless and Legally Blondes. And I think it's like, you know, where I grew up, I went to a large public high school in New York City. And, you know, it wasn't like super cool to be, I don't know if it's ever super cool to be like, you know, the girl raising their hand. Um, <laughs> But when I got into Cornell, my boyfriend at the time, um, who is a very nice person, I I actually set him up with his wife in our 20s. Um, um, But he said, he was like, get out of here. He was like, you know, number one or two in class. And I was like, (laughs) what? And and in Legally Blonde, where- Mm
0: -hmm. It's like, um, what? Like it's hard?
1: (laughs) Yeah, like it's hard. You got into Harvard, like it's hard. So that really resonated with me. But I don't think I really realized- that's why it resonated with me till I like watched it years later. Yeah. Like when it first came out, I don't know when it first came out, but I was relatively young.
0: Yeah. And he was just being a stupid teenage boy at the time.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like to think that they've changed. Mm-mm,
0: I don't think so. I know.
1: somebody. Was, I was talking to a friend yesterday and she was saying, um you know our ge- our generation of men you know making some statements so she was talking about how different like this next generation of men is going to be and i'm thinking like i actually not thinking i said let's see <laughs>
0: yeah i i will give it a let's see i mean i i'd like to think that'd be a that, little bit better yeah i'd like to think that i think there's more and again i have no no stats for this but i, I think there are more moms Working with careers than there were when maybe we were growing up, yeah, um, and 100%. and I think sons and daughters, but sons see that and have a different level of I think respect for the a, a career for a, a woman, and then may not have happened just by chance when the when our generation were growing up and the generation before that.
1: Yeah, I mean, in my family going back to my grandparents who were, the women were both born in the early 1900s, like Mm -hmm. 1911 and 1914. And actually even my great grandmother, one of them, they were all career women and they all sort of supported the men. That's awesome. But that's like weird. That's not usual.
0: That was, that is very, I think, unusual. My
1: grandmothers Mm -hmm. each had my parents when they were in their thirties. Wow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I had like the opposite to my well I guess on my my mom's side of the family I mean my my grandfather he he was the American dream he built his own business you know but my my grandmother didn't work and then growing up my my dad worked my mom dabbled in like travel agent but she didn't I mean she didn't really she was always there you know
1: my mom was an artist until my parents got divorced
0: Okay. And then she my, had to my change. My mom did this. You see
1: my painting? She did she
0: I've been painting. looking at that painting. It's beautiful. <laughs> my
1: grandmother died. I was like, I'm taking that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I do. I do too. Thank you. Um, well, it has been such a pleasure chatting, with you, and I like picking your brain about divorce and mediation and just hearing about your philosophy with it. So, you know, let our guests, our listeners know, um, where they can find you and where they can find your book, um, and you know, how they can reach out to you.
1: Sure. So, um, you can find me at gabriellehartley.com. If you're looking for mediation, just click on getting divorced. Um, or click on mediation. If you're a divorce professional who's looking to love your work, click on divorce professionals and it'll lead you to the total practice makeover. Um, So again, that's GabrielleHartley.com. And my book is available on Amazon at Barnes & Noble or at your local bookstore. They can order it. um, And it's called Better Apart, The Radically Positive Way to Separate. And it's been so nice um, having this opportunity to chat with you.
0: Thank you. And I'm looking forward to the, the new book when it whenever it comes out. Do you have a timeline on that?
1: I do not.
0: Okay. Well, we'll just wait.
1: <laughs>
0: well, thanks again for coming on. And for all our listeners, if you like what you hear, please like and subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts as well as YouTube at The Legal Navigator.